Welcome to Brains, a podcast exploring the inner workings of our brains, mental health, and disabilities, and how film and television portray them. Hosted by me, writer-director Heather Taylor. And by me, film and TV editor Sarah Taylor. Before we begin, we want to acknowledge that the lands from which we recorded this podcast and from where you are listening are part of territories that have long served as a gathering place for diverse Indigenous peoples. And we are thankful, as guests on this land, to be able to live work, and gather here together. We continue to learn about the history that came before us and encourage you to do the same. This is episode one of our three-part series, You Are Not Alone, Navigating Life with Mental Illness, which we created for Mental Illness Awareness Week 2023. It explores mental illness and the barriers that can block your journey to good mental health. Today's episode is about how stigma hurts everyone. Our guest, Amy Archibald Varley, is a nurse, health equity specialist, and co-host of the Gritty Nurse podcast. Amongst other things, she's truly amazing. Amy joins us to talk about stigma, where it comes from, how it leads to discrimination, and how mental health is represented on film and TV. This episode will also inform you on how to prevent and address stigmas, as well as how to be a good ally. A quick reminder to our listeners that this interview should not be taken as medical advice, and it is for informational purposes only. Because everyone's brain is different, please consult your healthcare professional if you have any questions. And now, Amy. Hello, Amy. Thank you so much for joining us today on Brains. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we're going to start with our biggest question. Um, Tell us, please, a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. Oh my goodness. Uh, it's always such a big question. And I I kind of pause and hesitate whenever I have to answer this question. It always makes me anxious to talk about myself. But um, in terms of some of the work that I'm doing, first and foremost, I'm a nurse. So yay, nursing. Yay. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank I'll, you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, and so I'm a nurse. I'm a health equity specialist. That's my current role. But I also wear many, many hats. So I'm also an upcoming author of the book, The Wisdom of Nurses with Harper Collins. I I'm a mental health and health equity advocate, and I'm also a CBC freelance uh, journalist. Um, I also do radio column with News Talk 1010 every once in a while, and I'm also a podcaster. So I also am the co-host of the Greeners podcast. So multifactorial, doing various different things. And I just really want to inspire people to have courageous conversations and, you know, talk about their truth. Wow, that's a great list. And I'm Thank you for all the work you do. You're changing people's lives. And I think that's amazing. So oh, thank you. So today we're going to talk about stigma. And it's a broad topic. And it's, you know, can be complicated. But let's start first with where does stigma come from? Yeah, you know, stigma really comes from, I would say, from a place of misunderstanding or a lack of understanding of mental health or mental illness. And really, I would say this, this it's kind of like an ignorance surrounding this misinformation. And we could talk about misinformation for forever, because we've seen how misinformation can really make people behave and act in a certain way. And, you know, usually because the stigma arises be- from these kind of negative attitudes, negative perceptions or beliefs about mental illness towards people. So it creates that prejudice, that bias. And then again, it can lead to discrimination of folks who have mental illness. And that's exactly our next question. How does stigma lead to discrimination? Like how do our beliefs misguided in in this capacity, how do they lead to discrimination of people with mental illness? Well, well, maybe I'll even back it up a little bit further just to kind of talk about, again, where it kind of comes from and then how does it lead to discrimination? And I always point to the media. So the media really plays a huge part in the way that we think 
about other people. And I think this is where we have to really be cognizant about what is put out in the media. You've probably heard of this um, definition or this, I should say, statement where the, it, the I, I can't remember who said it because I don't want to mess it up, but it essentially is um, who whoever controls the media controls the mind. And I think that when we think about the way that we think about others and we see the images, media can really play a role in reinforcing stigma. So it can portray inaccurate stereotypes about people with mental illnesses. It can sensationalize um, various different situations uh, through unwarranted references to mental illness using demeaning or hostile forms of language. And, you know, um, sometimes people, and we've seen this where the, the media can kind of juxtapose mental health, mental illness with violence. And this promotes this myth that people uh, that might have a mental illness could be dangerous. In fact, where we know that there's a lot of research that states that people with mental illnesses are more likely to be victims than perpetrators of violence. So I think this is where I can kind of round the question back to like, how does, stim- uh, how does stigma lead to discrimination? Seeing that these negative viewpoints can reinforce things that are inaccurate and not true about an individual. And then, you know, um, it really harms that individual. It harms the way that we treat and we think about people who have mental illnesses. And it really reduces the ability for folks to get help. Because if you feel that, you know, you're going to be demonized, you're going to be, um, you're going to be, you know, talked about in a certain light, you might be less likely to actually reach out and actually acknowledge that you might be suffering from a mental illness. Mm. Yeah, this is why we do this podcast. <laughs> Talk about how we are represented on screen. But, you know, we've heard this idea that mental health isn't simply the absence of mental illness, but living with a mental illness doesn't mean you can't have good mental health. So can you explain the difference between mental health and mental illness? And then there's likely how does stigmas come and form around that? Right. I I think that people use these terms synonymously and interchangeably, and they they do mean different things. So, you know, mental health, I've taken this definition from CAMH. So mental illnesses are described as disturbances in thoughts, feelings, perceptions that are severe enough to affect day-to-day functioning. And some examples are anxiety disorders, schizophrenia, mood disorders, such as major depressive disorders and bipolar disorder. Whereas mental health, however, is a state of well-being And something that we all have. So just like we have a state of physical health, we also have a state of mental health. And I think this is where, for me, it's super important to see what those disparities are, what the differences between mental illnesses and mental health, because it's really a way of thinking about your physical health and the way that you operate throughout, you know, your day. And I think the the two are actually equivalent. I think this is where some people don't see that your physical health is just as important as your mental health. And I really want people to really start thinking about it this way because I, I always give this example. So as a healthcare provider, we we when we talk about, you know, let's say you go off on a mental health leave or you go off on some form of leave. Let's talk, let's say you broke your leg. There are prescribed treatments. There are, you know, you might need a, a leg brace. There, It might take about six to eight weeks for your leg to adjust. We have all these very concrete things that we can do for fi- a physical Ill- illness. But when it comes to mental health, it's so individualized. It has to be, we have to be very careful about how we go about doing the treatment. And, and one size doesn't fit all. And I think the thing is, it's just as important. So if you, you know, just if your leg is broken, your, if your mind is broken, it's just as important. It stops you from going to work. It stops you from being able to do the things that you love, the things that you want to do in life. We need to look at it as important as physical health. 
Mm-hmm. I had this one therapist, which I thought really gave me a great perspective is one, I, I, I have generalized anxiety disorder. And then, so I was in a moment of high anxiety and I was trying to like make all these decisions and do all these things. And then she was like, if you had a cold, you would rest. Right. If you physically weren't feeling well, you would take a rest. Give your mind a little rest. And it just made me realize, oh yeah, I'm allowed to take care of my mental health. And I never had anybody ex- kind of refer to it that way. Comparing so just like how you did now, it just oh, is really good. Or or making those changes at that time, you're like, I know all these things will help me. So like, exercise and eating well and things can still can affect your mental health and physical health because they are intertwined. Um, but you can't make if let's say your social supports aren't there for you, you can't then also have no social supports and change how you're eating yeah. and change how do, you're moving. Do all, right. And do all do the all. things at once, right? Like that was always a big thing when I'd have a high anxiety moment. I'd be like, okay, well, I got to get this book to read it and learn how to be mindful. I got to <laughs> right. uh, make sure I eat more salads. I should cut out my coffee intake. I should go run around the block 18 times. Like, And that wasn't going to help me. But continuing through therapy and understanding anxiety... When I'm in those moments, I'm not putting myself in that spot anymore to try to fix it. I feel like society is telling us like to have good mental health, we have to do all those things that we mm-hmm, said, mm-hmm. right? How do we find the right fit for us? Like how do we not fall into that? Because I think that is also misinformation of like if you you have to do all these things if suddenly you're having, you know, having difficulty with your mental health that you now have to do all these things. So like, how do we balance that? (laughs) Yeah, it it almost boils back to, again, social media, these perceptions that people create of themselves of, you know, I'm okay. Or, you know, they, I think on social media, people show the best sides of themselves, right? Here's me. I'm a mom. I'm carrying all these burdens and I'm perfect. Or, you know, look at this perfect body. And this is, this is how society views beauty or, you know, sexuality or these various different things, or, you know, people always put their best foot forward. But the thing is, at the end of the day, we know that that's not based in reality. We know that everybody struggles. I think it's one in five individuals will suffer from a mental health crisis. And I think these are the things that we need to start talking about, right? So it's not just about, you know, showing that we have these challenges, but it's also talking about them really humanizing ourselves and really changing the way that we think about mental health. I think when I think back to even some of my own instances, so I I also have anxiety and de- depression. I'm I was diagnosed with high functioning depression, so like I can do a lot of different things as you as I listed at the top of the episode. <laughs> yes. I'm doing a thousand <laughs> things, but it doesn't mean that deep down that I don't have fears about some of the things that I'm doing that I don't have doubt that creeps in that I don't have crippling anxiety. Just even this year I'll, I'll share this with you. Just this year, I actually had various different speaking engagements. So the other thing is, I, I didn't even mention, I'm a national speaker. I think it was like three or four lined up in the month. And, you know, I, I, I really have an idea of what I need to talk about because I'm the expert on myself. And for whatever reason, I had a technical glitch. So running a podcast and have this speaking engagement and my tech doesn't work. And they're all like, it's fine. It's fine. Everything will be great. We get off without a hitch at about about 10 minutes later. I'm going through this and then I feel the sweat. I feel my heart racing and I feel like impending doom. And I'm looking, I'm like, there's still like 30 minutes left for this speaking engagement. So I do finish it, but I end up knowing that I was starting to have a panic attack. The world was just closing in on me. And then after that, every single speaking engagement, I felt I was going to continue to have a panic attack. And I I kind of self-actualized where at the next speaking engagement, I did have another panic attack. And I was like, okay, this is a sign that I need help. 
what is the underlying reason why I was having these issues? But again, I also felt compelled to talk about it, to say, hey, you know what? I'm doing all this stuff, but at the end of the day, I still have these challenges. And the other piece is, so we talk about all the different things like, oh, you know, you need to read, you need to eat, you need to get exercise. (laughs) But sometimes it's like, I need to just stop and say like, I need help. And whatever that may look like for me, whether it's, you know, taking a break from social media, whether it's, you know, going for a walk or just getting out of bed, because sometimes that's it too, right? It's like, it's overwhelming. I just need to move. Yeah. And it's recognizing that. And I think that's the hardest piece to recognize that you need that help. And I was able to do that. And the other piece is medication. Like we don't talk about that piece nearly enough. There's so much stigma around talking about using medication to help support people. But again, if you broke your leg and you needed pain medication, you would take it, right? You're like, oh my God, my leg's killing me. I need to take this to support my pain. It's no different for your brain. None whatsoever. Mm. Yes. Yep. I'm a yep. I have, I'm I a big agree. advocate of medication. <laughs> Me I as well. Take medication we, myself. So yes. take medication. <laughs> medication. <laughs> yeah, medication. <laughs> it's a lifesaver. It really is. It really changes the game because we have to think about our brains just as our other physical ailments, where you know there are chemical imbalances, and these medications help. Yep. Yep. I. My brain doesn't like to make dopamine and it just needs some. Yeah, and <laughs> that's it. Just needs some. And then it makes my life better. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, kind of going off of that, that idea of like, you know, talking about things, I think this really feeds into that question of how do you prevent and address stigma? Mm-hmm. You know, I think the the first part is having conversations like this, right? Really understanding and opening up the dialogue to say, you know, it's okay to not be okay and to talk about mental health, talk about these these instances where, you know, our lives aren't perfect. We aren't, you know, we aren't living in this like golden palace and everything's okay. It's okay to say, you know what? Things are really friggin' hard. Things are really difficult and I'm not okay and I need a little bit of help. So I think the first part is actually opening the conversation to make it make it a safe space that we could have these conversations. And then just educating yourself. Like it wouldn't take much out of your day to say, hey, you know, I don't really understand what this person might be going through. Why don't I educate myself? Get get that information. Know the facts about mental health, mental illness. And also this includes looking at addictions. I think people People shy away from having talks about, you know, substance issues and addictions. And we need to realize that that is also a mental illness as well. Being aware of our biases and our prejudices. So it's kind of like, you know, checking yourself, being aware of those attitudes and where where they might came from. You know, again, I mentioned at the top of the episode how social media and the media really influences the way that we think about people. This could be in the form of news articles. It could be in the form of film and television. And really examine our own judgmental thinking and and, re- and our own upbringing. Like I think about my parents are from the Caribbean. They had not the greatest ideas about or the way they treated folks who had mental illnesses and really thinking about why that might be and then changing the way I think about it. Mm-hmm. Again, cho- words have power, right? Choosing the way that we talk about mental illness and mental health is hugely important as well. Uh, again, I'm a nurse. I've seen that stigmatizing language and in, in written in charts and it will color the way that that patient is treated. We need to think about the way that we talk about these folks and talk about folks who have mental illnesses and change the way that we talk about them as well. And again, you know, pass on the positive effects and things that we see about mental illness. Like we're, we're all talking here about our own struggles, but we have wins too. Like we have times where we're go, we're like, you know what, that was a really t- tough time, but I came out on top. Here's what I did. Or even to say, you know what, 
things will get better. And I think reinforcing those positive aspects of mental health and mental illness are so are also important as well. And then again, it's just really supporting your friends and families and folks who might be suffering or might be, you know, having these challenges and reaching out. I think, you know, um, sometimes it's easy for someone to say, oh, you know, if you're struggling, you should reach out. But sometimes it's hard. Like it's, it's hard to be the one to be like, oh, I'm struggling, but I'm going to make that extra conscious effort to reach out. Maybe it's for that family member or that friend who's recognizing those signs and symptoms that, you know, I'm, I'm not wanting to go out with them anymore. You know, I'm, I'm inside all the time, maybe for them to be, to say, Hey, let me come over and have a conversation with you. Cause it's not just like a phone call is okay, but sometimes it's good to actually physically go in and check on your friends and families. And I think it's also just about respect and dignity. Like I can't, speak more about the way that we treat each other. We've been seeing the the this change of the climate, right? People are just angry, people are feeling, you know, lonely. The pandemic has really changed the way that people have been viewing and interacting with each other. I always talk about treating people with compassion. How do we get back to that space where we just look at people and treat people as people? It's been really challenging and I think that we just need to really go back to the basics of how do we treat people with compassion and empathy? What does that look like, right? And I think that, so empathy is again, yes, putting yourself in one's shoes, but compassion takes it that one step further, which is not only putting yourself in their shoes, but trying to alleviate their suffering. I think that's so hugely important. And I think that's that extra step that folks can make and then include everyone. This is a conversation that involves everyone. So again, wherever you might be, the, the conversation of mental health shouldn't have to stop at, you know, behind corporate doors or behind in your therapist's office. It can be in film. It could be in television. It could be in the media. It could be conversations like this. We need to continue having the conversation and to include it in all facets of our life. Going off of all these amazing examples you just gave us, how do you be a good ally and how can we fight all of the isms? So many isms. <laughs> I have my three principles. One is listening. Listening is so, so important. And I think that we don't do a very good job of listening. I, there's so many times where, you know, um, you're listening to respond versus listening to understand and acknowledge what someone's going through. And I think that we really need to start honing our listening skills. Listening is I would say probably one of the most powerful things to understanding and being a really good ally. You can't, if you don't listen and you don't understand, you don't say, you know, this is what I've heard and I'm going to take this back and see what I can do with it. You're you're not going to, you're going to miss the point. So listening, I, th- I would say for allyship in any of the isms, whether it's racism, sexism, any, any of them. It's so important to just listen. And sometimes there there we know that there's various different personalities. So there's folks that are like they're they they like to really speak, or there might be some more quiet people. I think that in this role where you know you're you're partaking, you're listening, take that time to just pause. I know it's hard for some folks, pause and just say, you know, let, let me reflect on that a little bit and say nothing. And then you can come back with another part of the conversation. But listening is so integral and important. Learning, again, so we kind of talked talked about it at the top, just saying, you know, we need to learn more about mental illness and, and mental health. And what does that actually look like for each individual person? And then also just speaking up and and speaking up also means advocacy. So we didn't kind of touch on this, but I think speaking up is also being saying like, what is your role in talking and advocating about mental health? Where can you see yourself in that space? And I think that for every individual might look different. So for me, it could be advocating when I have an opportunity to go on CBC or when I have an opportunity to, um, 
you know, be in the media, but it also could be, you know, talking to your constituents, your MPPs, your your local party folks about mental health, asking, hey, what do you have as a policy in relation to mental health or having those conversations at work? I think those are so important and small things that we can all do to continue to advocate for mental health. Again, I don't know what your 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 services look like from your workplaces, but mine were abysmal. So how do we ensure that we're pushing our policymakers to, in, to make sure that mental health is seen as healthcare? So again, that's that advocacy piece and speaking up as well. Yeah. And I think creating a workplace where it feels safe to be like, again, like I can take leave for my mental health is no different than I broke my leg and I need to take leave for work. And, 100%. and feeling like, oh, it's okay to disclose what it is and not feel that your path in work could be affected, which I think a lot of people feel like, I don't want to admit this because if I do, then I'm not going to maintain my role or I'm not going to be able to elevate my, I'm not going to be able to move to the next level in my work. And I think we need to f- figure out it's not we kind of joke, it's not just one day a year, like when we have like Bell Media and they're like, let's talk yeah. day. I'm like, great. <laughs> but we have to talk about this every, every day. Like it's day. not just one day. A hundred percent. And I think that, you know, workplaces are integral to have these conversations. And I think that um, in my own personal experience, again, um, when I went off on my mental health leave, I remember my workplace distinctly giving me a form. So it's like, you need to take this form to your doctor and fill it out. And I looked and it was all physical. Oh, how much can you lift? How much can you bend? How much can you twist? And I gave this form to my psychologist and she was like, this is garbage. Like <laughs> this literally doesn't reflect the fact that mental health is seen as healthcare. We should be not just talking about physical limitations, but talking about what the mental limitations might be of the work. And again, I'm 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 very cognizant of the stigma around even sharing that you might have a mental illness at work and what that what the implications might be for that. And again, we have we still have a long way to go for folks to really understand what that might look like. Again, I think this is where we continue to listen, we continue to learn, we continue to speak up and advocate for mental health. Amazing. Yeah, I think that there's something that I've learned to ask is, do you want me to listen or do you want help? And it's actually a very good question to ask someone so that you know that they want to just talk right now or they actually are asking you to come up with solutions for them. Because I think a lot of people are like, I'm going to fix this. I'll get you some solutions right now. And the thing that the person needs is listening. Heather's very good at <laughs> solutions. But as her sister, who who has dealt with many moments of life where my mental illness was hard, sometimes I just needed that conversation. And it, it's a, a good thing to realize for everybody. I, I have to yeah. do it myself as well. But yeah. 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 I think sometimes that um, sometimes that's all we want. We want to just be able to say, hey, you know what? Like, it's been hard and and we just want someone to listen. And then, of course, there are other times where we might be asking for help or we've reached past the point where um, we might not be able to ask and you might be recognizing those signs and symptoms. And this is where I say, you know what? It's actually OK to to involve a primary care pr- provider. There's only so many sem- so far we can do as friends and as support people if we don't have that expertise and that knowledge. So it's always good to say, hey, you know, I think I think this might be some additional help and let's get on the phone and we'll call them together. Or like sometimes it's like, I will go with you. I will drive you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Why did, do you want me to sit with you in the doctor's office? Do you want me to sit with you with the doctors? And then I can help um, give my reflection of what's happening too, if you want. Like, I think that's right. really important for people who feel like really scared and, and it's a new path, especially people who've never reached out for help with mental health before. They are like, no, I, I I need someone there to support me who may understand what this is more than I have, have experienced in my life. And for me, like that happened, like 
I took myself to the ER once because I was suicidal. And I called my mom and she sat with me and came to all the appointments and like didn't come in with to the therapy room. But like just knowing she was in the waiting room, I did not expect to cry today. It really makes a difference having and I had one of my best friends just like I said, I'm at the ER and she just showed up, didn't even ask her. She just showed up. So those things made a huge difference in that state that I was in. What I was going to ask you also was, you know, I found when I struggled, sometimes I felt like I was a burden. I was a burden to my family to be like still dealing with the same problem and to come to them be like, I'm still having this issue. Is there anything you can, any tips or advice you could give somebody who's in that state where they're like, it's happening again. And I've, I feel like I'm a broken record. Yeah, you know, thank you for that question. And, you know, it's okay to show emotion. I think it's so important for us to show that, you know, these things do affect us. And thank you, Sarah, for showing your emotions today. And I think that, you know, I've had that feeling too, um, feeling that, you know, I'm I'm being a burden or, you know, I'm I'm making things much more hard for my family. And I think this is where it's so important for our family members to say to us, hey, you know, no, this is hard. This is, this is really hard. And, and they show that in their actions, like, like your mom did by, or and your friend by just showing up, right. Being in that space, not even necessarily saying anything, but being in that space. And I think it really helps us as individuals when we are going through this, these situations that we feel that we're not alone. It's, it's so important that we don't feel that we're alone because that's where we do feel like we're a burden, where we feel that we've been removed from, you know, having those resources and support that, that we feel that, you know, we are a burden, but we are not. And, and our, our family members love us so much and they, they want the best for us. Sometimes they might not know what that looks like, but just that presence. And again, if you're listening, I think just being there, showing that sign of support, you might not have the right words. Again, this is where it's helpful to educate yourself. But I think just that presence to say, you know what, you don't have to say much other than to say, I'm here to be with you no matter what, we're going to figure this out and we're going to figure this out together. So I think those are probably the, mo- the, the most important things for me when I was feeling like I was a burden as well. Mm. I feel like some of that burden comes from, the idea of burden comes from the f- films and television that we watch mm-hmm. when it comes to mental health. For you, what are some of the best representations of like fighting against these stigmas or, you know, you know, accurate representation on film and television? Yeah. So I, I'm going to give one because I had many and I was like, okay, <laughs> I need to like track back the time. But there's one that I found was really powerful. And to this day, every time I watch the scene, it always makes me cry. So I don't know if you've seen this, but um, it's a show called Atlanta with Donald Glover. This particular episode, it's going with his character, Earn. And he's addressing his mental health. So again, really thinking about, you know, like even racialized folks, black folks don't tend to actually openly talk about this. And particularly as a man, I found it very, um, very empowering to watch. So essentially it starts with him being in his therapist's office. He's, He's angry and, you know, his therapist is talking to him. And he does end up breaking down. His his therapist says to him, you know, like, I understand what you might be going through. And he gets upset. He he actually cries during this episode. And it's right at the top of the episode. And um, it was very, it's, it, it's very powerful because we don't see ourselves sometimes even in these situations where we're, we're trying to reach out for help. And we know how difficult it is. And particularly for even men to speak out in relation to mental health, I found I found that to be such a powerful representation of saying it's okay to get help. It's okay to show your emotions. 
and it's okay to be, you know, that vulnerable. Um, vulnerability is hugely important in mental health. Um, having that trust is hugely important, but it's important that, you know, we see these images where we see men going to therapists, we see emotions, we see vulnerability, we see that rawness and that visceral, that being so visceral. And I think that'll help people say, you know what, I've been there and, um, I can, I, I, I can muster up to do this as well. Mm, that's great. Yeah. The idea of by seeing it, it means that we feel like we can see ourselves and we can do that too. So I love that. Um, is there any other ways that you would like to see it represented um, that you may not be seeing right now, like from your perspective? I always go back to the advocacy piece, right? I think that a lot of folks are doing a lot of talking. And again, there is some inherent privilege when we see, you know, celebrities talking about, you know, mental health, right? We were able to see like Justin Bieber and, you know, Sean Mendes take off huge periods of time to focus on their mental health. And we know that that's not the reality of the situation for everybody, right? You know, um, uh, not everybody has that liquidity or even just right now, um, the way that we look at mental health and we think about it within our own Canadian healthcare system, it's actually not funded the way that we think it is. So again, mental health services aren't covered. And I, why is that? Why do we not have funded services for mental health? Why do I have to have you know additional insurance to pay for these resources? If we think it's as important and we know it's as important, why are we not putting our policies in and structuring our systems mm -hmm. around that importantness. So I think this is where I think I pressure and have these conversations with other people to say, well, if we say that this is important, we say that mental health is health, then we need to put like our money where our mouth is. We need to put our policies where our ideas are. And again, just really pressuring many organizations, folks who are out there talking about mental health to make sure that we resource it appropriately. I, th I think about whether people have would rather put money on the table or or you know deal with their mental health and we've seen that these are unconscionable decisions that we're making people make right yeah. you know can i eat or serve my mental health and i think these are we shouldn't have to be saying either or we should be able to do both and this is where i think we need to have those conversations to say hey what are we really doing in society here when it comes to mental health are we are we are we just saying these things or are we actually going to do something about it so that's kind of where i want to see a little bit more action where we say that it's important but we need to make sure that we're doing things to show that it is important whether that's through policy more resources so people can actually afford to see, to seek out mental health services and then making it really a part of our universal healthcare structure cuz right now it it actually isn't yeah and i think i'll, I'll say uh, someone who also lives in the states part of the time <laughs> Uh, they too have a difficulty with all sorts of things. Like it's wild that you could go to therapists for, or get a certain medication and then have your insurance decide that you don't, they don't think that you should be having it. And, and it can be like very, it feels very arbitrary. I think there are some places that thankfully, um, state run, um, facilities, like there was a counseling place in New York that I'd go to that would look at your income and then it would scale accordingly, which is fantastic. But again, those are really hard. Like it takes time to get into places, um, and it takes time. And so sometimes it's an emergency and, and money is a, is a big part of the barrier, um, especially as, you know, we start to, we see in the media whenever, the, like you said, whenever there's a violent act is put towards mental health, then when people are doing policy and all they hear about is mental health equals violence, why would, they're like, well, why are we helping someone who's violent? Like there's this disconnection. So I think you're right with advocacy and talking about it and saying like, this isn't actually, 
this is very this is a kind of a false narrative i think then we can start to to make more positive changes for us and it's starting by breaking the stigmas there's definitely a huge overcriminalization of folks with mental health. Uh, the system does treat folks with mental health more harshly. Again, um, from my own standpoint, so I have many people in my family with mental health. I like my my son has autism. My other son has ADHD. My husband has autism and ADHD. So again, I I come from a family understanding the importance of having these conversations. Again, I guess if we talk about intersectionalities, my children are racialized. So another added pressure and thing to worry about when it comes to mental health and how they might interact with the various different services, whether it's the police, whether it's in healthcare, where, wherever it might be. And I think it's important that we do address this hypercriminalization because the, the the narrative doesn't actually fit the facts. And if we are talking about fact-based things, then we need to ensure that the facts actually fit the story and they don't right now. So we need to change the dialogue on that as well. I think this is where we we need to ask for and push for stronger policies and procedures in relation to this, continue to advocate for better services and access, and then really change those those visual perspe- uh, per- perceptions. We need to see more accurate perceptions of mental health in film and television on social media. We need to really start having these more accurate, more nuanced, more real perceptions. And I think, again, it should be done by people who are experiencing these things. They should be playing a huge part in how this content is developed and how it is portrayed. Because again, at the end of the day, we are our own experts, right? And I think that's where sometimes you see those those situations where it's it's inaccurate. It's not depicted accurately. And I think that if we can be a part of those solutions, that'll also start changing the game, the narrative, and how people view mental health and mental illness. Yeah, exactly. Do you have any resources you'd recommend our listeners to engage with when they're, you know, thinking about how we can end mental health stigma? Yeah, you know, I think when I think about resources, like I'm kind of thinking about like, what is it that we're seeing right now and kind of in this day and age? Because again, as time changes, everybody uses various different forms of media to engage. And I would say, you know, podcasts like yourself are really, really important to actually listen to, to engage with. And I also think that finding evidence-based podcasts or various tools are also important. There's lots of great uh, tips and things out there that folks can kind of turn to. And I think that, you know, like I said, kind of at the top of this, there's so much misinformation and it's so hard to kind of weave through all of that. But it's so important to make sure that whatever we're we're taking in, that it is evidence-based, is informed. I, I'm not going to name certain podcasts that I don't like and I would not recommend, but there are some folks that, that have a huge platforms that are not saying the right things when it comes to mental health. And I'm very weary of I think other people should be wary of where folks are getting their information from again. So using those evidence-based tools, using evidence-informed podcasts, listening to folks like yourself, I think those resources or any types of resources that, you know, I think there's like Mental Health America, there's CAMH here in Canada as well. Finding those evidence-based resources can also help. And then looking in your community, what's available just around the your doorstep in terms of mental health resources. I think community hubs are super important. They help you feel connected. They help you you know, see yourself in other people. And I think that those resources are important too. So again, making sure that you, you really, and I can't stress this enough, find evidence-based resources to help support uh, mental health needs. Where can people find out more about you, following you online, um, keep up with all the wonderful things? So many good things. (laughs) 
Yeah. Oh my goodness. I, I have a website. So it's www.amyvarley.com or you could go to amyarchibaldvarley.com. That's where you can pretty much find me. You can uh, reach out to me through there. And then, of course, I'm on social media. I, I It's not called Twitter anymore. I, I was just about to say you can find me on Twitter. Um, it's X. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just I just cringe saying, oh, it's X. It just seems so wrong, right? You could find me on X at Amy Varley. I'm also on Instagram, not as much because I'm not a visual kind of person, <laughs> but you could find me on Instagram at Amy A. Varley as well. But I'd say most likely through, um, you know, um, through my website, it's probably the best place to reach me. I, I am available on LinkedIn and through the National Speaking uh, Board as well. Amazing. I do have one last thing. Is there anything else that you might we might have missed that you want to say one last nugget if i could add just it is a vulnerable place to say i need help and i acknowledge how difficult that is i've been there you've all have been there as well and i think that it's it's that small step to do one of two things either to say to see and recognize that someone might need help and to try to help and then just to say you know what things are different for me. Maybe maybe I will try something different or maybe I will reach out to that care provider to say, um, I just haven't been feeling well because sometimes that might be the language. I think there's generational gap too in terms of how we talk about mental health and, and maybe that's how it sounds. But I think just starting that initial conversation, I think that that's so important and it can really change your life. I, I, I can't speak highly of the opportunity to say, you know what, I think I need to do things differently and I, I do need a little bit of help. There's nothing, there's no shame in saying I need help. I think it's perfectly fine to do that. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for all of this wisdom you shared with us today. I'm going to go out there and fight those isms. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for listening to the first part of our three-part special on navigating life with mental illness. Please come back tomorrow for episode two about the journey to diagnosis. Brains is hosted and produced by Heather and Sarah Taylor and mixed and mastered by Tony Bao. Our theme song is by our little brother, Depish, and our graphics were created by Perpetual Notion. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us and tell your friends to tune in. You can reach us on all social platforms at Brains Podcast, spelled B-R-A-A-I-N-S podcast. You can also go to our website, brainspodcast.com, where you can contact us, subscribe, and find out a little more about who we are and what we do. Until next time, I'm your host, Sarah. And I'm your host, Heather. Bye! Bye.